I don't know about the rest of you, but I feel lucky today. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. Son, Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, I've been so sick. Yeah, man. We took a week off of production in a way that I can't remember doing in a long, long time. Just scrubbed it. It has been a very long time, but you were down and out, man. Yeah. And now I'm like, I'm back to the 70% that you expect from me? <laughs> yeah. The friends of DeSoto will tolerate no less than most of an ass in terms of effort. <laughs> yeah. We can't half-ass this thing. I mean, we're not going to give an entire ass, but, uh, you know. You asked if I was ready to record, and I said, hell yeah. <laughs> Almost all the way ready. Yeah. I've been drinking uh, non-alcoholic beverages so much, just trying to get this thing working through me. Yeah. Eating a lot of citrus. Mm. No drinking or drugs for me in the last 10 days. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, right? Yeah. What about caffeine? Because this is like a big debate between my wife and I. Whenever I'm sick, I'm like groggily stumbling into the kitchen to make myself mm -hmm. a coffee. And she's like, no, you can't drink coffee. You're sick. And I'm like, I'm going to feel worse if I don't drink coffee. I would file for divorce immediately at the mere suggestion <laughs> because I would be sick and frustrated in general. And then yeah. to have that thrown at me, no, the morning coffee was one of the only joys I got in a day yeah. for a period of time. I did not do the afternoon coffee for the duration. I'm off of that again. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm a single coffee boy in the morning for the last almost two weeks. And I don't know how how much longer I'll ride that out. Yeah. So far, so good. I'm not getting headaches. That's usually the thing that gets me to go back to it. But I've been sort of a three or four coffees in the morning lately. and Oh, buddy. And then no more. Like, I don't, I don't do the afternoon, really. Just back to back to back to back? Get out of bed, pour myself an iced coffee, take the dog on a walk, buy an iced coffee while I'm out, come home, have another iced coffee when I get home. I like that. Yeah. You know what? You were the the guy who came up with the drink as much coffee as you need lifestyle <laughs> in a way that at the time was surprising, but now it's like, of course, like <laughs> do whatever soothing you need. Yeah. It's coffee. It's called self-care. Yeah. You've been smart about that from the start. This is an uptick for you versus uh, pre-Darone times? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I'm back to getting on average the amount of sleep I did pre-derone but it's broken up in a different way and so i'm still tired as fuck all the time like mm. <laughs> it's uh i don't know i can't complain i'm like we're taking this baby class I'm, I'm surrounded by babies that are like a month or two further along in their development than him that are mm -hmm. sleeping less and still fucking their parents shit up your kid is already going to class at a grade above their age <laughs> yeah. already getting college credit for baby class. You know, they just, different babies develop at different rates. Mm -hmm. There was this, 
<laughs> a lady in class today telling a very scary and harrowing story about her baby choking on a piece of cut up apple that she offered it to eat. Oh no. And she was able to, you know, perform baby Heimlich and wow. and it was okay, but um it was like a good moment in class cuz I was like I don't know the baby Heimlich and I would like to learn that. Is that where you just kind of shake the baby until mm-hmm. the apple flies out? Yeah, you actually uh you have to get a paint shaker and you put the baby right in there. <laughs> shake it back. <laughs> In the process of describing the scene when this went down, she said, yeah, and my boyfriend was in an interior closet with the door closed with headphones on. And I was like, was your boyfriend making a podcast? And she said, no, (laughs) no. No, he was masturbating. It's the utility room. (laughs) He was doing housework. (laughs) (laughs) That sure is the... The picture you'd paint of a podcaster at home. I was shocked that he wasn't podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were in Silver Lake, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm totally blown away by that. Yeah. Thought it would be a, a sure thing. She said, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he wishes he was making a podcast, but he was not. <laughs> yeah. No one that they associate with would ever. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of uh, media from Los Angeles. Okay. Something showed up in the Warning Boise uh, channel in our Uxbridge Shimoda corporate Slack. Oh, yeah, I saw this. Oh, you want Slack? I'll give you Slack. What are you doing there? This is private property. We are to be faithful to you, Captain. Who are you, people? Warning Boise is a segment from our other hit Star Trek podcast, Greatest Trek, where we... uh, you know, read out uh, things people are saying about us on social media. We invented the segment just in time for Twitter to become kind of a problematic place to be giving shout outs to if it wasn't already before. So it's, you know, a segment we have lots of weird misgivings about. But this really, uh, really delighted me. This was from uh, at Rob TVLA, the account of Rob Hedrick, who makes... TV. He literally has the website imake.tv. It's amazing. Yeah. It's not as good as podshop.biz, but it's a pretty great handle. It's pretty great. And there's like a Emmy at the top of Rob Hedrick's website. So oh. Rob Hedrick is like, you know, on the path to EGOT. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're on you're on your way to We Got yeah. if, if Webby right. is a is a part of it. Yeah. But uh, is also a friend of DeSoto and made this uh, wonderful stinger for a McLaughlin group that I will play now. From Los Angeles, the greatest generation, a Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. For almost a decade, the wittiest minds, best dick and fart jokes, the drunkest talk. Isn't that great, Adam? This really blew me away. I love it, and I can't wait to use it more and more. I love when Friends of DeSoto make things that we can use on the show. It's incredible. It sounds so much like the show. Yeah. that Like, that's the best part. Yeah. Like, did this voiceover guy do the intro for, for the real McLaughlin group? I really love it. And, uh, I mean, what I hope it does is maybe inspire more people to make sound effects for the show. Yeah. I'd play things like that during our Marins. 
I absolutely would as well. I mean, you know, we were we were trying to start like that rap beef with Jordan Jesse Go. Uh-huh. And as far as I can tell, nothing has come of it. So far, both of the rap beefs that we've instigated with other shows have not gone anywhere. The first, of course, being with Mission Log. Yeah. The second being with Jordan Jesse Go. Yeah. Did people call in to uh, 206-984 for fun? Did people participate in that in that business or not, do you think? I haven't heard from you know, like I socialize with Jesse semi-regularly. I haven't heard anything yeah. from him. I thought yeah. I would like avoid telling him about it because I know he doesn't listen to this. No. And I mean, you know what? You could probably make him listen to it uh, if you're out there mm. and you pull a clip. You maybe play that into uh, a phone that you dialed 206-984-4-FUN. <laughs> maybe play that in the re- into the receiver and uh, that's how you'll know Jesse's listening. I'm worried we didn't give a specific or clear enough ask to the Friends of DeSoto for what to do. Of course not. Yeah, just just flooding the lines. But, uh, you know, on a more positive tip, sending in your own drops. I love it. That are read by professional voiceover artists and are, you know, credibly produced. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I could go over Stick that. Stick that in my veins. Every day of the week. Yeah. Pretty solid work by Rob Hedrick. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. We're surrounded by Robs, aren't we? I know. All the great Robs. All sides. (laughs) Hey, speaking of robbing, Adam, Hmm. the Star Trek Voyager does some robbery. That's right, Ben. (laughs) Did I say the Star Trek Voyager? Yeah, you did. The Starship Voyager does some robbery in this episode. Sure does. Let's get to uh, this heist episode of Star Trek Voyager, Ben. It's season five, episode 15. Plus possibly 16, depending on where you're watching this episode. Yeah. It's called Dark Frontier. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> and the cold open is on a Borg's to-go container class starship. <laughs> this is the sort of thing that you take a, a hot dog back to your seat in or something. <laughs> I had lozenge class in my notes, but I like to go container class a lot. I love this thing. Yeah. This is definitely a sandwich container of some mm. kind, maybe. Yeah. The Borg have detected a vessel, and the Borg are going to who ride. Mm-hmm. And they get in a Star Trek fight with the Starship Voyager, or the Star Trek Voyager, as I like to call it. Hey, leave that kind of wordplay to your wife. <laughs> she is better at it than I am. This fight... Does not go well, Enterprise. No, you know, there's a quick FaceTime that we get, and and all of this is really POV of the Borgs. Yeah. The Borgs boilerplate we've heard a million times, but the reaction that Janeway's got on her end is very much a, like, fuck you if you want to fight, we will (laughs) kind of response. You've scanned our vessel. You know we can match your firepower. It is very interesting to see a Star Trek space battle from the Borg POV. Yeah. Especially when the torpedo gets beamed aboard. Do you think the confidence comes from being confronted with a to-go box? Yeah. And that's where this is instead of like the whole cube? Yeah. What even is that? Does that come out of the sphere and the sphere comes out of the cube? Like what what kind of ship are you flying, man? (laughs) Yeah. A torpedo is beamed aboard this yeah. Borg's to-go container and explodes before that one drone that thinks to defuse it can do it. 
How many torpedoes do they have left at this point? <laughs> Is this their second to last torpedo? If you're sure that the torpedoes you have can do something like this, like this is a torpedo well spent. Yeah, no, I mean, hard agree. But they're getting down to the point where they're just beaming over shuttlecraft and and exploding those. <laughs> yeah, beam over a shuttlecraft, set the warp core to, to go critical. Just tell them it saves you money, buster. That'll do it. Big win for the Voyager. Uh, Janeway orders a salvage operation in case there's anything in the flotsam that they can use. Yeah. And after the theme, we're in the cargo bay where a bunch of that debris has been brought. There's coffee in their propulsion system. Anything left? Yeah, it looks like they're sort of trying to piece back together the wreckage of TWA Flight Borg 100. (sighs) (laughs) I liked it, but also very, very sad picture comes to mind of that plane patched back together. We make a genocide joke and you laugh and laugh, but something bad befalls an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> you get genuinely sad. That's me. <laughs> Weird. The thing the captain picks up in this scene looked like the instruments that uh, Stanford was trying to bring on their adventure on the underwater planet. We will not need them. This vessel is equipped with a complete sensor array. Oh. Yeah. Was that the same prop just reused? I don't know. I mean, the the picture that Harry Kim paints of this thing and what it did moments ago (laughs) is hilarious because I love not having to do an effect because dialogue has described it as having already happened. (laughs) Totally. An effect that, like, I feel like they are capable of selling in this era. Like, some of the uh, creature effects that they're doing digitally in Voyager at this point don't really hold up, but I think, like, Sphere walking around on spidey legs would have have been just fine. I looked up what happened to this prop, and uh, it was briefly listed on a prop auction. Yeah. The, The details said that it did not come with arms and legs. Oh, so you couldn't even glue them back on? No. No, it was just... It was Borg's globe only. Huh. That seems like it would lower the the value, you know, like if you tried to sell it at auction. And yet there was a bit of a bidding war at the end. And you know who won? Garrett Can Wong. I guess? <laughs> That's who I was going to guess. <laughs> you better not get into a bidding war over a prop with Garrett Wong. You're going to lose every time. Ten times out of ten. Yeah. Janeway generally is just tired of adding time to the trip home by avoiding the Borgs. Right. And Chakotay thinks he's kind of spotted a tell in her. Every time Janeway wants to get risky with the ship, she kind of fiddles with her comm badge. Right. You're about to drop one of your bombshells. Now what makes you say that? This is something you would love to discover in Janeway. At a, at, at a, at a poker table. At one yeah. of your gambles. Yeah, I would like this a lot. Yeah. You wouldn't tell her, though. You're, like, Chicote makes a total rookie error, which is giving her a heads up about her poker tell. Yeah, can't do that. Makes you think about all the other times he hasn't seen her wanting to get frisky <laughs> <laughs> about anything. Yeah. Like, Chicote is like, I've never seen you fiddle with your combat around me before. Yeah. It, it indicates an interest in risk-taking behavior that would be unusual for you and me. Remember that time I carved you a whole entire bathtub? I don't think you've fiddled with your comm badge once. I'd like to fiddle with your comm badge. You won't let me. 
the doctor is super excited to have found uh, the medical arm of a medical drone. I didn't know that the yeah. drones were that specialized. I guess that makes sense that they have different equipment for different types of drone. This is the Peltzer Pocket 6 Bay that the doctor has picked up. <laughs> Laser scalpel, biomolecular scanner, micro suture, all rolled into one instrument. It shoots all sorts of lidocaine <laughs> all over the cargo bay. Yeah. It's just a great big mess. But it's in a paste format, and it's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what they really want, though, I mean, as excited as the, as the doc is, what they're really looking for is a transwarp coil. Yeah. They didn't get that, but they did get some data that could lead to a transwarp coil. Valuable stuff could be on these data nodes, like where the Borg ships are going to be. Like their deployment would be really useful information for Voyager because it could speed their journey along if they're not being so dodgy about it. That would be delightful. After a long day of sorting through Borg's junk, Paris and Kim go to the mess hall to kind of unpack all that they did on the previous shift. And they want beers yeah. with Neelix to celebrate his big idea about the, the whole torpedo beam over situation. Yeah. What a shock that Harry Kim was the guy that came up with the idea of putting the torpedo in the Borg. <laughs> Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. What up, Harry? Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. Chummy. Chummy. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. Uh, Paris really steps in it by celebrating a little too hard about yeah. putting all those mindless drones out of their misery when Seven walks in. It's a real yikes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... If Seven can be liberated from the Collective. I mean, at great effort and tremendous risk to the Voyager crew, but if she can be liberated, you can't talk like this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, another ugly depiction of XB sentiments just sucks. You don't think Seven's feelings can be hurt? Yeah. But they clearly are. If you prick her, do nanoprobes not fall out? Yeah. In the ass lab later... Seven takes her angst and like puts it to good use, I guess, by showing Janeway and Tuvok, you know, all the deployments of the Borg ships across the region. Yeah. This is kind of a retcon, right? Like, didn't they just like totally leave Borg space behind a while back? <laughs> Not so too. But now they're like in the thick of it and Borg's cubes are everywhere and a big, a big hazard to navigation because they're always trying to, you know fly serpentine to get around them. But they come up with the location of a sphere, and this sphere is fucked up. Yeah. It's like what happens after Garrett Wong wins a auction for a Borg's globe. <laughs> yeah. They, this actually... It's a interesting. I read on Memory Alpha that this was the sphere model that they used in First Contact and that had been sold at auction to Garrett Wong. Yeah. And he brought it into set one day and they're like, hey, this is actually kind of a cool idea for a story. Yeah. Do you mind if we use this? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, do you want me to like take it to a, you know, a, a conservator and like see if I can get it fixed up a little bit? And they're like, no, 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 no. The patina is perfect. Right. I think we've just struck gold. This is impressive stuff. But when Janeway looks at the deployments, 
she notices this damaged sphere on the map and she wants to know all about this little guy. Yeah. Oh, that little guy. I wouldn't worry about that little guy. She sees an opportunity. An opportunity that we hear more about in the McLaughlin group after. Issue one. Because Janeway is ready to bet that a transwarp coil is on this sphere. And because it's so damaged, it may represent their best chance of getting one. Yeah. Like, they they totally wrecked that fucking takeout box class Borg ship. (laughs) I mean, a wrecked sphere is probably uh, equivalent. Yeah. In strength, right? I would say, if not worse off. Like, they're sort of the hyenas looking for the injured water buffalo that they can pick off from the edge of the flock. Boy, if there were ever a folksy Native American metaphor for Chakotay to use here, like, this, yeah. that would be it, right? But he doesn't get a lot to do. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. The whole metaphor that Janeway is using for this sphere is that it's Fort Knox. It's going to be, this is a, a high-stakes heist. It's not it's not going to be easy, but the the rewards will be very great. Beyond the dreams of avarice. Mm-hmm. We're going to steal a transwarp coil. They take a little sidebar in this McLaughlin group to talk about like the history of money. And I was yeah. like, fuck, it's so far away before we can get off of this shit. I know. Like, end of the 22nd century is when we have to wait till? I just hope we live that long. Yeah. I like my chances. <laughs> you're you're living right. I mean, yeah. Infectious disease notwithstanding, you're uh, you're you're down to just the one coffee and everything. So, that's pretty good. <laughs> I'm making improvements in some areas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the idea comes up like if if we're going to do this, we got to do it right, and that means we're going to have to train. That means holodeck simulations. There's a bunch of cutaways to 7 during this scene that I think, are made to suggest that Seven is a little bit disgusted by this idea. Like, the the laissez-faire attitude that the crew has about, you know, knocking off this sphere mm-hmm. and stealing its shit. Yeah. On the one hand, I, I almost thought it was pride, like, by Seven. Right. Later on, it just seems like she thinks it's too dangerous to want to do. But she seems to be defensive of her people. Yeah, yeah. In that way. But- You know, Captain Janeway comes from a school of thought where you do not neglect the balls. I think it's time to do a little assimilating of our own. Hmm? I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. There's kind of a one-on-one between Seven and Janeway in the ready room. And Janeway has a bunch of materials that Seven's parents have gathered. Yeah. And this seems to be germane to the mission ahead like if seven wouldn't mind just looking through these materials that she could have looked through the entire time she's been aboard maybe you'd give us some intelligence useful for what we're trying to do here yeah she uh saved all this stuff and this is all like the logs of the uss raven and um you know seven thought that she would uh, have to confront this stuff never more but that's not going to be the way (laughs) So, mm. you know, this is a bit of an argument, but... <laughs> you wouldn't like it if I gave this mission to Chakotay, would you? That <laughs> would give him something to do this season. <laughs> and Seven's like, fuck no, give me those logs. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, like, 
Devin has has some weird feelings about that too. Like the thing that's amazing about the USS Raven is that they tracked a Borg cube for a long time, like three years. Right. And that could give them a little edge. And Seven's like, well, he, you know, it didn't work out great for them in the end, but Janeway wants her to really give it a look over. So she finally agrees to it and stamps out of the room. I'll have Neelix bring you those very personal logs. <laughs> In a Rubbermaid tub full of iPads. (laughs) (laughs) This next scene in the cargo bay is great because Neelix is like, uh, you know, I too know what it's like to grieve a dead family. And uh, I actually have nothing of them left to hold on to. (laughs) They were vaporized on some science experiment. They didn't make an anthropological study of a murderous, hegemonizing, cybernetic race. Right. So I don't really have anything to remember them by. Yeah. So don't you feel like shit for having put up such a big fight? What I wouldn't give for a treasure trove like this. It's like, check your Rubbermaid tub full of iPads privilege, Seven. One of the few things that Neelix has to do this entire episode, I thought uh, Ethan Phillips did a good job with so little. Yeah. It's sort of an elegiac end to this scene because the camera pulls back, leaving Seven alone in this big empty cargo bay, and the camera keeps pulling back, and Chakotay's been there the whole time and saw (laughs) Neelix having something to do, and he snaps a pencil in his fist. (laughs) It's flashback time, Ben. Flashbacks? A series of disjointed images in my mind. I was frightened. I felt fear. We flash all the way back to the day before the Hansons leave on their mission to study the Borgs. Mm -hmm. And Adam, seven, is seven! (laughs) (laughs) How old is seven in this scene? (laughs) Eight? (laughs) Bring it on! Not allowed to play with daddy's Borg cube model. No. That's no good. No. Magnus Hansen starts telling her about how they're about to go on the on this big adventure. A moment though, like the playing with the cube though, that really foreshadows everything that follows. Like <laughs> the the innocence with which they approach such a dangerous subject of study. Yeah. Are we going to see the Bork? If we're lucky. The anger that Seven has over what her parents did is so fucking legitimate based on this scene. Like Magnus is incredibly naive, incredibly willing to risk the safety of his entire family for his stupid career. But they really don't know. Like Seven has the benefit of the knowledge of what happens after. But like this is gorillas in the mist shit like this is really like just going out in the field studying yeah an animal you don't understand but critically an animal that like carved a section of the saucer of the enterprise d up and but this predates that doesn't it does it yeah i think it does but they didn't know about the borg before that but it was all like hearsay and rumor and innuendo like there was no yeah there was nothing concrete huh well, anyways, they head out on their trip and uh, we get like uh, field notes in lieu of captain's logs from the perspective of Magnus Hansen. And his wife, Erin. Yeah. 
she's also there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they talk about like the people that they worked with back in the A quad having, you know, been very worried about what they were doing and they kind of brashly ignored those warnings and kept going. Our colleagues obviously think we are insane. Yeah, I mean, they've broken a lot of rules to get as far as they have and they're kind of running out of fuel at this moment in the mission. In a way that the Voyager often is, you know, yeah. like often is like shit, like we got to pull over for deuterium now because there might not be another exit on this highway. I like how almost... I mean, you're probably going to laugh at me thinking that they're equal, but like the, their attention is fairly equally split on Annika and the mission at hand. Like, I feel like they're still pretty good and caring parents for, you know, doing this kind of field work. They really do care about Annika's safety and happiness and well being for as dangerous as this mission becomes. Like, it's not like they're ignoring her. Right. Yeah. During. I'm just saying, like, maybe leave the kiddo at home. Yeah. <laughs> like, critically, like, Jane Goodall didn't have a small child hanging out with the, the chimps that could rip their arms out of their sockets. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She had better sense than the Hansons. She took that risk on herself, as did the gorillas in the mist lady. It's past Annika's bedtime and sort of like a kid wants to stay up and watch TV a little later. Uh, there's only one channel on the ship and it's showing the Borg cube Yeah, that's nearby. They are sneakily dropping in on the Borg cube. 129,000 life forms on board. Yeah. Mama pajama. They are greatly outnumbered. And luckily this is a cube that has ignored the Raven. And that's when they make moves to sort of go with it yeah. on its journey. They're going to shadow them. And uh, yeah. I felt like the way they drop in on the Borg cube in this scene was really nicely mirrored on the way the Voyager drops in on the sphere. Yeah. When we cut back to the present, you know, it's a little bit of history repeating. But this is a simulation, right? This is them yeah. practicing for the away mission. Right. On board, we've got Seven and Janeway walking through. They're armed. They're, they've beamed onto the sphere and they're ignored by the drones that are on there. And Tuvok and Harry Kim are in another section of the ship. Yeah. They're looking for the transwarp device. This is a 90-minute episode and we didn't even get the scene where Chakotay was like, how about if I go on the away mission? And the captain was like, no, Chakotay, I've got to do this myself. <laughs> Like any heist film, you will be the wheel man. <laughs> the getaway driver is the most important part of any heist. If you're lucky, you'll get some scenes working a grill at <laughs> Bud Court's restaurant. Well, what are you waiting for? If you're lucky. <laughs> Sounds great. Kim's brought the explosives. That's his job, the demolitions expert. Mm -hmm. Everyone works together to set the charges and open the case where the transwarp drive is contained and get the hell out of there. But when the clock runs out, it's clear that they only have a finite amount of time to do this. And, and when the Borgs start to notice their presence, they got to start shooting. And their escape is foiled when the Borgs hitch a ride on the transporter beam back to Voyager. So that ends the program 
and it's a game over on the holodeck. And they're like, hit me again. Yeah, 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 yeah. hit me. Come on, let's go. I thought that the set looked so great. Yeah. The interiors, like they shoot them all super low, which I think bespeaks a really high degree of difficulty in set design and lighting because that means all of your like film production shit has to integrate with or not be present on the set. Yeah. Your life is so much easier when you can rig the ceiling for what you need. So the lighting in this is all like practical, which makes it feel more real. Like it feels like Mm -hmm. the camera could turn any which way and you'd still be on Borg sphere. It's really nice. Yeah. They're 12 seconds long on their mission and Seven says, well, my parents were on a Borg ship for hours before being detected. There's got to be a reason for that. Yeah. So the next step is not going to be keep practicing and try and shave off seconds. It's going to be try and refine the tactics, try and figure out something that we can do to extend the time before, you know, the popos show up. In the Top Gun Maverick version of this episode, Chakotay goes into the holodeck and like does it himself (laughs) to prove it to everyone that it can be done. He gets those 12 seconds back. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And buzzes the tower Mm -hmm. just to rub it in. Yeah. But Chakotay doesn't get anything to do this episode. Negative Ghost Rider, the pattern is full. That's a fantasy. Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Do it. You know who does get something to do, Adam, is Naomi Wildman. Yeah. She is not sleeping well because of all this conversation about the Borgs. Yeah, she's having Borg mares. When she sees Seven in the alcove... She has a lot of childlike questions about the Borgs. And these are questions that seem familiar to Seven in this moment. They really echo the concerns that she had as a similar age of Tot. But then it's like, wait a second, who nightmared whom? Yeah. Resistance is futile. That's my goth bumper sticker. (laughs) (laughs) There's a, a hallucination scene. Yeah. And Seven seems to be hearing a message from the Queen telling her that if Seven would only give herself over to the Borgs, Voyager will be spared. And the reason being is that she's so unique. Yeah. She's special. And that's got to feel nice to hear. Yeah. It's like a parlay. It's like if you rejoin the collective, here's the deal we'll let Voyager go. Yeah. But we want you. And that's like a actually pretty tempting offer, right? I mean, given that Seven's stated interest in rejoining the collective has been flexible. Right. Like 10 episodes ago, her ambivalence would have been a lot more peaked. Yeah. <laughs> here. Yeah. She's come a long way, baby. It is troubling that a queen can just talk to her, though. Yeah. That's not good. And you think she'd report something like this. To the captain, but she does not. No. Instead, uh, she has another flashback. Right. I am Gorg. You were Gorg. They've been trailing this cube for three months in the Raven, and the Hansons have really done something amazing here. They have. We get sort of like (laughs) the world's tamest POV video scene from Aliens where Magnus is aboard the cube wearing the 
Google Glass rig that shows video of what he's seeing to the Raven. Monica and her mom are like sitting there watching him and he's he's like literally doing gorillas in the mist style like observational biology of Borgs in the mist. I mean, I think we could almost retire that comparison in favor of kind of a grizzly man comparison given what happens right. at the end of this, right? Yeah. Like the nicknames are the are the big tip off for me in that way. Like they've got fun nicknames for all the Borgs that they've encountered and they've yeah. gotten to know them in that way. Bill and Needle Fingers just arrived. Well, in this scene, he's watching them take apart another drone and he says, you must never watch the tape of this. <laughs> I won't, Magnus. <laughs> I won't. He has like his own little mobile emitter thing on, mm-hmm. and it starts, it starts to glitch and that's like the thing that he's using to conceal his existence from the Borgs. So we cut back to the present where Seven is like explaining this device to another McLaughlin group. Issue two. About the way it can kind of camouflage them aboard the ship. And it's Tuvok and the Doctor working with her on, oh, so like, like we can make some of these and they'll have to be like specially tuned to the people that are going on the away mission. But this is actually tech that we can reproduce the praxis of. It's another example of the doc really getting the tone all wrong in a conversation with Seven, though. (laughs) Because the doc's attitude about this being an example of how far she's come is, like, not what this moment should be about. And, like, it kind of forces Seven out of the room super pissed. Yeah. And kind of, like, really up in her feelings about what her parents did and how that affected her utterly. And around the corner, she kind of is overwhelmed by the anxiety of all of it. The doc like often doesn't notice when he steps in it like this. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that the camera work on this was really nice. Cause they go to like a handheld moment when she walks out into the corridor and it really adds to the kind of like, this could turn into a panic attack. If I don't get some, some air kind of a feeling. In a really well-executed way. It's interesting that the doctor steps in it so often in this way with people, but I can't remember a scene where he's ever apologized for it, right? Like, there's a very human quality to the desire to make it right after you socially fuck up in this way, and he doesn't seem to have that instinct. Yeah, and and it's also sort of understandable that it's a, a blind spot for him personally because he wasn't raised. So when he, like makes comments about the way people were raised specifically. It's coming from a place of like a total detachment from that as an issue. These are colors to his character that I really wish were shaded in a little bit better. Like that he's really not self-aware at all. For him to make himself into a tutor for Seven in any way is just ridiculous. Yeah. Anyhow, this little freak out sort of sends us back toward the away mission. And the captain pulls Seven for another chat. And this is where she breaks it to her that uh, she's pulling Seven off of the away mission. You're only going to take pictures. (laughs) You will not engage the Borg. Photographs? Just photographs. If you find Borgs over there, you're just supposed to leave them. (laughs) 
I have to stress because they have so much technology. They have better weapons. And we believe that the mind is the best weapon, but they don't. And they believe that weapons are the best weapons. Chicote, get me something cold. <laughs> this is a huge blow to Seven because she had always assumed that she would go on this mission. Yeah. And for Janeway to sideline her, because of behavioral issues of anything, is it's a real slap because Seven thinks that the mission's going to fail if she's not on it. Well, and also her sub is Bellana, and she's like, yeah. it, like, my behavioral issues are a bigger issue than her behavioral issues? Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> Have you seen her behavioral issues? It's deeply insulting. <laughs> But I thought for sure this would be the moment where Seven would bring up the hallucination or or like the communication with the queen. Yeah. As maybe a useful bit of information. And it's part of what obscures what side Seven is on for the rest of the episode is that she has that opportunity and she doesn't until much later. Well, she doesn't and it sort of feels like she doesn't because of the decision the captain is making. Like, yeah. if if she brought it up now, then it seals the deal. She's not going on the mission, but... But she could have contextualized it as a strategic advantage, maybe. She could have, but I feel like it's it's riskier than playing the tack she does, which is just arguing, like, very vehemently that she is, like, the safest and best choice for this job. And speaking persuasively along the simplest path she can to convince the captain to reconsider. Seven doesn't give up the idea of her being on the mission. She's like, you know, captain, I know it, it sounds risky to put me on the mission. And she reaches over and like kind of touches Janeway's comm badge and <laughs> kind of twists it a little. Fiddles with it. <laughs> I know you're occasionally interested in in taking risks like this. And yeah. Janeway's like, stop touching my combat. <laughs> you guys, Janeway's hand and makes her touch her own combat. <laughs> <laughs> and then she touches her own combat with her other hand. Uh-huh. Scene gets a little steamy. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. We cut away before we find out what happens at the end. But not before we learn that Seven is back on the team. Yeah, back on the team. This is convincing. Yeah. It works. Very persuasive. <laughs> that little combat gambit really really did the trick. Yeah. So now the Borg are detecting a shuttle. Yeah. And I was thinking about how between the simulation of the mission sequence and all of the flashbacks, like this episode has three different kinds of storytelling overlapping. Yeah. And at this point I was like, okay, is this a simulation? Is it a memory? Is it... Like, you know, something that Seven did as a drone. Is this the next thing that happens in the actual story? And we're just seeing it from a different perspective. It's complex. Which is it? You really need to stay with it as a viewer. Yeah. This is this is pretty high level stuff for what is essentially a TV movie. You got to ignore a Brat style shuttle, right? It's not going to pose you any harm. That's not a threat. No. This is a threat. It's a threat to your sense of value when you buy an automobile. The new Subaru Brat, inexpensive and built to stay that way. It very much is that. Chakotay, like, is fucking shocked that the Borg don't consider this a threat. And he's like, do they know how explosive these things are? Yeah. 
their plan is dependent on the Borgs paying attention to the Brat-style shuttle. Yeah. This is bad for them. What they have to do is modulate its warp profile, being piloted remotely. So the uh, away team are like standing on the transporter pad, like, you know, checking their manicures while Chakotay and Tom Paris figure this out up on the bridge. And uh, and then the Borgs grab it with a tractor beam and start pulling it in. Yeah. And this is their opportunity. Right on time. The shields have to drop for that. They start inspecting the build quality of the Brat. You know, it's inexpensively made, but kind of a lot of value here. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's a lot of fun to be had with these rear-facing uh, <laughs> bed seats, you know? Yeah. That's great. Fun on wheels. Yeah. They beam over. The Borgs are not able to detect the away team, but the Queen is talking to Seven while they're over here. I guess the knowledge of the camouflage that Magnus and Aaron used, not part of what they assimilated out of the Hansen family at the time, right? Or part and the Borg Queen is is, you know, laying a trap by letting them think that they aren't being detected when they actually are. There you go. That's three-dimensional thinking right there. That's what you gotta do with this episode, man. Yeah. Yeah. So we've seen this before. This is, you know, a replay of the same raid that we saw, which kind of made it seem really condescending when Tuvok tells Harry where to put the explosives. It's like, yeah, Tuvok, I know. I've done it 15 times. I know where to, quote unquote, put the explosives. <laughs> I know all about explosives and where they go, Tuvok. Yeah. When was the last time you exploded anything? <laughs> it's not like uh, Pond Far where you only explode every seven years, okay? <laughs> I explode all the time with Delaney sisters or, you know, whoever. <laughs> Delaney sisters or other. <laughs> I love that the transwarp coil just sits on like a flat surface yeah. in this chamber. Like it doesn't even look like it's connected to anything when they get it out. Yeah, they don't need a pry bar or anything to lift it out of its case. It's it's just there. They open the hood and they pull it out. Yeah, they beam that thing away. Everybody, you know, heads back to the beam out point. Except for Seven, who gets kind of stopped by a voice in her head. Yeah, the queen doesn't want her to go and... This is really persuasive. She tells the captain that she wants to stay, in fact. I intend to rejoin the collective. I can't let you do that. The captain is like ready to shoot her rather than let her do that. Yeah. But a force field goes up and on Seven's encouragement, the captain runs to the beam out point. She says the things that Paris said in the mess hall were so hurtful. (laughs) There's no way that she can continue to serve on the ship. Yeah. She's going to go where she's appreciated. She's taking her talents (laughs) to Borgsville. (laughs) Yeah, just an absolute blow to the people of Cleve Voyager. Right. (laughs) So it does seem like these bio camouflage gadgets that they've been wearing are not really doing the trick anymore. So they beam out by the skin of their teeth and... Seven goes to Borg City. Yeah. This is great. This Borg's playset is so huge. 
the scale of it is great because in the foreground you get the ships and in the background you get kind of the hamster <laughs> tubes of <laughs> of everything else. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like unclear how any of this works. Yeah. I like that they have public transportation though. Like there's a train thing that goes by in one of the shots. <laughs> yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know what the dream is? Getting on one of those uh, Borg trams and knowing for sure no one's going to be like doing a speakerphone call mm-hmm. on their yeah. phone or like playing their music too loud or whatever. It's it's going to be so quiet. There aren't going to be three Borgs that get on with a boombox and say, showtime, and like yeah. start fucking swinging around and like nearly kicking an old lady in the face. It's really the dream. Yeah. But downside, Adam... No churro salesperson no. on the platform. Yeah. Seven is taken right to the queen. Yeah. Right away. It's a really different vibe from Best of Both Worlds, right? Because it's not like, she's not like dazed. She's not being like led around with an arm. Yeah. You know, in somebody's claw. Yeah, it's true. She's given kind of free reign here. And she watches the queen get assembled, yeah. which is pretty fun. It's a totally different spin on the on the queen assembly that we got from First Contact. Yeah. The queen does still, like, come decolletage up is biological. The rest is technological. Yeah. I really love the kind of post-assembly shoulder rolls she does before greeting <laughs> Seven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she gets a little stiff when all her body parts are being kept in different parts of the ship, you know? Yeah. This moment feels like where the ep would have split, right? In a typical two-parter. I think so. This moment, like the greeting of Seven. Yeah. Would smash to to be continued credits. Yeah, and we were really confused about this because in the Apple TV version of Paramount Plus, they do present it as though there are two discrete episodes. And then if you click into Dark Frontier Part 2, it tries to sell it to you for $2. But if you click into Dark Frontier Part 1, it's the full 90 minutes. They want their $2. What do you get for your $2? (laughs) Like, was it ever aired as two separate episodes? Besides a subscription to a newspaper, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what $2 gets you. Yeah. Should I buy the $2 episode and just see what happens? I don't think that's good pod. Yeah. (laughs) Did you recognize who played the Borg's queen here? Susanna Thompson, right? Yeah. Lenara Khan, Jadzia Dax's love interest. Whoa. So the Borg's queen kissed Jadzia Dax. Damn. And then turned into a Borg's. Wow. I like it. Yeah. She's great. They don't talk at all about her previous life and her adventures on Deep Space Nine. Right. And how things may have been different for her had she chosen to be in a relationship with Jadzia Dax. Right. And how things would be different for, like, television, you know? Yeah. That was only the first step, but what a step. (laughs) I'm so proud. Thank you. I'm so proud. What did you think about the fact that they didn't really revisit the design of the Borg Queen for this? Like, it's, it was so striking to me watching this episode in the era of New Trek where, you know, every kind of loaf is taken back to the drawing board for, you know, the new shows. And we have seen a Borg Queen as depicted in New Trek as well. But this is the design from First Contact, like the same head tubes, the same like weird, you know, 
washboard pattern on the front of the neck, the same outfit. Do you think the show is trying to say that this is the same Borg Queen by making those choices? And that you're just going to have to accept that a different actor is portraying her? Or that the collective like just makes a new queen when an old one gets exploded or when an old one gets uh, its spine its separated from its, <laughs> from its skull. Yeah. That's such a weird bit of merch that Star Trek sells. Like Star Trek sells the skull and spinal column of the Borg Queen Yeah, as a thing that you can put on your desk or whatever. Yeah, I saw that um, they auctioned the skull and spinal column from the movie off separately. Uh huh. And just like some random person got the skull, but the spine went to Garrett Wong. Oh wow, he's got to be upset about not having completed the set there. Yeah, and not able to glue it back onto the skull. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Queen doesn't like Seven's makeover. Hair, garments, and also admits that Seven's life on Voyager was all part of her master plan. Yeah. But before I tell you any more about that, why don't you go take a nap over there and we could talk later. (laughs) I don't know how anyone could sleep after this news. Yeah. It's crazy how interested this episode is in everything else besides the idea that Seven was manipulated the entire time into doing this. Like... This is not interrogated hardly at all. It it doesn't seem like it would be very easy to sleep after getting news like this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the idea that you've never had free will since being assimilated, basically. Did you really think we would surrender you so easily? Right, like that show The Americans, Seven was sort of a blend-in character, but like I guess wasn't informed so that her misgivings about being liberated quote unquote from the collective would read as authentic Mm -hmm. she'd been through a lot of adventures with this crew at this point like yeah it's a pretty staggering revelation that all of that was as a like long-term play by the board queen to learn up one of her drones on like what makes humans tick yeah so that the borgs will be more successful the next time they take the fight to sector zero (laughs) zero one The queen was like, we tried it once before with uh, Lacutus, but God, he was so weird. (laughs) He did not live a normal life at all. And his childhood? Are you kidding me? (laughs) I would rather have not known about that. Yeah. Like very traumatic in retrospect. Yeah. You would never get that from meeting him, you know? Yeah. That's just it. He doesn't seem haunted. I mean, we had to assimilate him to know. I mean, that's on us, okay? That's us. (laughs) The hauntedness of his distinctiveness is not something he wears on his sleeve, you know? Yeah. I've got to get that platinum. Get that low metal argument. I've got to get that platinum. Are you planning a heist? Gold. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. 
And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Another person who knows all about Seven's inner life is BLT, who on Voyager has revealed that she has read through all of Seven's personal databases in order to get the transwarp conduit kind of up on its feet yeah. as a piece of tech. She's plugged this donut into the warp core. The captain is in a not great mood, yeah. despite the fact that this transwarp coil seems to be integrating well. She's like, I don't see what Kim's crush on Seven has to do with you getting this <laughs> device working. <laughs> Why are you telling me this? <laughs> she takes great umbrage with this. Like Seven's personal logs have no bearing on whether or not BLT can get the transwarp conduit working. Yeah. And 
Janeway is very cold about this at BLT. There are protocols for observing privacy on this ship. What if she'd brought BLT on that away mission? They wouldn't be having this conversation right now. It's true. Yeah. So she goes down to the cargo bay, which is a real beehive of activity. A lot going on down there with the relics that they got from that hot dog container that they destroyed earlier. Yeah. They got all this Borg's crud laying around and they're kind of done with it. And Neelix asks the question, you know, like, well, what do we do with the alcove? Like, we could turn this into, like, an exercise room or maybe a a hobby space or whatever. He's like, it it uses a lot of power. And the captain's like, leave it on. And he's like, well, could we just turn it off for a little while? He's like, no, leave it on. Yeah. All right. Jeez. Yeah. Janeway's really upset by this whole situation and later on in the in the ready room she's working late at night with the computer to figure out you know if there's anything unusual that's been happening in the days leading up to the mission yeah particularly with seven and that's when tuvok brings naomi wildman in to help naomi wildman has put together a daring plan to go behind enemy lines and liberate seven of nine from the board collective She's got the cutest rescue operation (laughs) ready to go. You created this plan all by yourself. Yes, ma'am. Captain is, uh, you know, game for this. Very sweet with Naomi. She really gets into, like, the the nuts and bolts of Naomi Wildsman's plan. Janeway's like, so you're saying we replicate thousands of flatter stuffies. (laughs) And... Much in the same way as we should be operating with our security forces, we just beam them into the room where Seven is. (laughs) And then we beam thousands more around the cube where she's being held and fly fly shuttle among them, like from the perspective of the mosquito. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, but no thanks, Naomi. Your initiative is duly noted. Good idea, but... Yeah. But while they're having this conversation, the computer finds something. The captain has been checking out like random pulses and signals that have hit the ship in the last few days. And she's pretty sure what she's found is a signal from the Borg that went to Seven's quarters. And so uh, that's all she needs to realize that the Borgs have been communicating with Seven. And uh, we cut back over to Borg City, USA, where... Seven is waking up after having some surgery that she did not sign off on before they put her out. Don't like that. Non-consensual implants have been installed. Yeah. Which, like, you know, is sort of the MO of the Borg. He's like, if you fall asleep around a Borg, (laughs) you got to be concerned that a non-consensual implant may happen, right? A non-consensual implant is really the Borg's version of a Sharpie drawing a penis on your forehead <laughs> over there. Yeah. yeah. If you've got an 8 a.m. class, do not <laughs> fall asleep around a Borg. <laughs> the Queen reiterates to Seven that she's too unique to assimilate. We're just going to give you some extra parts here, and that'll do for us. And also... You, Seven, are going to help us assimilate humanity in the way that Locutus never could. 
Uh, we already have all your memories, and so for some reason that's going to help. Like Locutus 2.0. Yeah. Seven is like, well, if you've got my memories, like, why do you need me? Yeah. Like, great question. Let me take my dolphin and go. Yeah. But the banger that's dropped on them kind of interrupts their conversation. And uh, it leads to a kind of assimilation hunt that Seven is invited on. Yeah. Like, let's get back in the swing of you being a part of the collective, even though you're sort of a weird, unique part of the collective. You're going to assimilate these guys. It's going to be like a deep cover cop movie where you have to, like, shoot someone to prove that you're not a cop. Yeah. But we don't see that in this moment. We flash back where the cube that the Hansons have been following got some exchange drones aboard. Yeah. Like, the cube swaps them out from time to time, and they're studying these new guys, and they're doing a kind of tag-and-release program with the drones, and it's clear that one of or some of these drones have been in touch with the queen. Yeah. This guy is the tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix 1. Right. We've heard that before. Yeah. I mean, this is like a brief flashback, like the... They get this guy aboard the Raven, though, right? Like, yeah. Like the special drone, and they look through his logs. I can feel the poop. It's warm. It just came. It just came from her butt. Yeah, and then they like clip the the GPS tracker to him and beam him back before mm-hmm. anyone notices he's missing. And we crossfade back to the present, where the captain is in her captain's shirt, and Chakotay is showing her where the you know the signals that they detected going to seven have been emanating from yeah they've found the location of borg city i like so much that chakotay is the guy that janeway runs her ideas off of i just want more of this i want more of chakotay being a commander instead of just like this off-duty shit There's been way too much of Chakotay just like wandering into the room and like saying something to Janeway so that the plot can (laughs) move on. Yeah. And not enough of them having like an actual conversation. And this is like the one time I feel like they really get one in these episodes. I mean, it's interesting the tack that Chakotay has here, which is like if Seven didn't give herself up during the robbing of Fort Knox, like maybe... We're all assimilated. Right. Maybe what happened was for the best. And Janeway, I don't think, is ready to believe this. Janeway is like, well, Seven's job was to look into the Hanson files, and now that she's gone, it's on you again. (laughs) Maybe there's something here that will help us track her down. Congratulations. You're now the second most important character on the show again. Janeway's got that hot shooter energy, though, where like they, they successfully robbed Fort Knox, Janeway wants to keep rolling the dice, and Chakotay is a little worried about some overconfidence creeping in. Right. He wants to leave Vegas up. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hard to do. And they have a fucking transwarp coil. Like, <laughs> he's making a really good case. The cab is here, ready to bring them to the airport, and Janeway <laughs> wants to keep rolling. <laughs> I am become Chicote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So they figure out, like, okay, we can plug the donut into the Delta Flyer a lot more easily than we can the warp core of Voyager. So they plug it into that. We get that shot of them working on the Delta Flyer again from the episode where they built it from scratch. Yeah. 
And then we get a rousing captain speech where she tells everyone on the bridge, none of you will be doing anything else in this episode. We are now going to do something really cool in the Delta Flyer and you all just stay here. I will be doing the cool shit. <laughs> it's captain's prerogative. <laughs> You'll be taking your orders from Commander Chakotay. It's funny on the Delta Flyer, like you see the exterior of all the improvements and then we cut inside. And I feel like they blocked these interior scenes to keep the manual gauges and switches out of frame. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Because they want this moment to be taken seriously, right? Yeah, they don't want it to look like a Captain Proton joke. Yeah. So they are mounting this long-range transwarp rescue operation, and it's really exciting and really cool until the camera pans down to the iPad that Captain Janeway is holding and in, like, crayon font that says Naomi Wildman's rescue plan. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> this is the game plan they're using. Oh no. We look in the cargo section of the Delta Flyer and it's just stuffed with flodders. <laughs> there are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. They're on their way. They're in transwarp. But over on the queen's ship, the queen has asked Seven to take a pretty heavy hand in her involvement of the assimilation of this species. Yeah. And instead of supervising their assimilation, she's sent to go repair the shields. There's a moment here between the queen and Seven where Seven doesn't exactly push back, but the queen feels like maybe her talents would be better suited to another part of the mission. And with Seven out on her own, I thought this was the most affecting part of this episode. Seven's walking solo through these Borg's corridors and she can hear like the terrorized, the the tortured screams yeah. of these people being assimilated. Not only can she hear those sounds, but she can also see like the dead-eyed expressions of the people like being perp-walked toward that assimilation in a way that's almost worse. Like the vacancy of expression where someone has just utterly given up, like the moment where they know they're done for and like that's what's going to happen. It's Yeah. It grows into such a moment that Seven is is persuaded to intervene. And so she jumps in and tries to get some people to escape. And she is able to transport some of them to one of their ships. That scene was so intense because like at this point, the people that she's trying to save are so defeated mm -hmm. that they almost don't want to participate in their own salvation. Yeah. She's like begging them to run for it. And they're like, uh, they're like caught, you know? Yeah. And she's like, no, I swear you'll fit through the doors. I know your shoulder pads are huge, but if you just go like turn slightly sideways as you go. Yeah. The exterior shots here are great too. Like this entire sequence is super strong because not only do you see, you know, how beaten these people are individually, but when you see how fast their species fell, you know, the pieces of their giant defensive armada totally broken in front of them yeah. and so fast. It's a useful reminder of how overmatched anyone else is in the face of a Borg invasion. Yeah. 
super scary. And also like there, I don't think we mentioned it, but there's like stakes on this that the little sub ship that the queen and seven are on is getting hit. And the queen is like, I'll let the whole fucking ship blow up if you don't help me assimilate these people. So like, yeah, it's a real sword of Borg Damocles hanging over everything. Yeah. So she helps these people escape and she kind of returns to the room that the queen hangs out in. And the queen is kind of gloating over her victory. The queen's like, Seven, I know you're new, but I got a surprise for you. Employee of the month, seven and nine. Let's bring in the sheet cake. It's a uh, cellular peptide cake with mint frosting. Delicious. The grocery store that I go to has a employee of the month area. It's like a two floor deal like there's an upper floor and a lower floor in this grocery store and it's it's right at the escalator so i see it every time i go because you have to take the escalator down to check out and uh-huh. it drives me fucking nuts because it's like <laughs> july of 2021 this dude was the employee of the month and it has not been updated since then <laughs> oh like, no when is somebody else gonna get the recognition or did this guy like die and they're just like leaving it up because they don't have the heart to take his picture down? Like what's going on here? Yeah, what's worse for morale that <laughs> employee of the month hasn't been updated for that many years or that someone eventually takes down the employee of the month section as a concept and it does not exist in your in your retail space anymore. This is why every employee of Uxbridge Shimoda is the employee of the month. Indeed. So they start digging into their cake and the queen does eventually find the ship with the people that Seven sent away. She just kind of asks Seven what she should do. She turns this into a lesson for Seven of Nine. Yeah. She's like, so should we watch their futures end or? Yeah, I mean, this tractor beam looks of the kind that could easily squish them, right? (laughs) It does. And when the queen does let them go... I was very surprised by this. Yeah, it's almost like the, you know, headmaster, like letting a student like twist in the wind on their own failure kind of energy. It really gives Seven a feeling of ambivalence. It's like, I have not persuaded her of my way of thinking at all. So I don't really know why she let me let these people go. It just makes the situation feel more dangerous. Yeah. And we cut back to a flashback on the Raven, which is in high pursuit of a Borg's cube. And uh, it turns out like a, a particle storm is the reason that they got noticed. Oh, this is the worst news. Yeah. Because that, that bit of camouflage they were using meant everything to their safety. And now that it's gone, the Borgs see them as a threat and the Raven's on the run toward a nebular. Yeah. Nebulars are the best place to hide from the Borgs. We know this. Or from anyone. Yeah. You know. Annika listens to them argue from her bedroom, and Aaron's like, And why is the carpet all wet, Todd? I don't know, Margo. <laughs> you know, one of those fights that a married couple has that's about something minor that easily spirals into a much bigger thing. Right. Like just recounting all of the different grievances they have with each other. Yeah. And then one of them like punches out of the argument by going into the kid's room and trying to pretend that nothing's up. Yeah. Be right there, Alka. Ooh. You know she heard all that shit, Magnus. Come on. Sure do remember those times. (laughs) 
I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> Incoming cube, Ben. It'll be on them in an hour. A nebula's not going to help. They need a planet to divert to. Yeah. And that's the moment you described, Magnus tucking Annika into bed, completely ignoring the argument they just had. So we cut back to the presence, and on the Delta Flyer, they've been at Transwarp for long enough that pretty much everybody has turned into a salamander, <laughs> except for the doctor. Did he reprogram him or something? No, I mean, once you've turned into a salamander once, doesn't that mean you're kind of inoculated against <laughs> it again? <laughs> so the captain, Tom Paris, and the doctor are fine, but everybody yeah. else is all shimmery. and They are fucking. <laughs> a lot. Mm. There are trillions of Borgs living at Borg City. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And it's like a real, like, uh, you know, fly casual chewy as they approach. <laughs> like, like the Borg cube buzzes them going by and they're like, hold on to your butts. Yeah. They're, they're not getting noticed. Fine. I really like this episode, but I would say if there's one part I could have used a little more of, it's... I wish this were scarier. Yeah. Because this should be the scariest moment in a Starfleet's life, is being this close to so many Borgs in such a small ship. They are really defenseless here. And that moment where the ship like shakes because the Borg cube is so close when it goes by is yeah. really scary, but yeah. it's so fleeting. You're right. Yeah. So we cut to the chamber with the queen and seven and the the new plan that the Borg are working on is a, like a bioweapon approach for assimilating earth. Right. They'll like explode something in the atmosphere that gets nanoprobes into everybody and bit by bit they'll become Borgs. Like she's demonstrating this with like a, an underwear model, like hologram <laughs> rotating next to them. It's like, nanoborgs, are you just a horny lady. <laughs> is that what's going on here? Your knowledge for the target species is invaluable. That the underwear model is there to emphasize her point. <laughs> a point that doesn't need emphasis. Like, you know what humans look like, right? <laughs> if you don't remember, here's one. Oh, uh, yeah. And what do they look like not in clothes? Right, 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 right. You know, centuries ago, they used to distribute entire catalogs <laughs> full of humans who look just like this. Yeah. And if you needed to, like, take the edge off before going on a date with one that you were really excited about, you would look at that catalog and spend a little time by yourself. Yeah. I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. Is that understood? I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you, and you have just crossed the line. If Seven resists helping the queen with this plan, she will be turned into a drone. And this is a moment of Borg chicken here, right? Like, help us or what makes you unique, we won't care about anymore. Yeah. Help us or be drone. We'll, we'll make a drone of you again. Yeah. And there's sort of like a circle of drones that draws closer to seven. And they're going like, fight, fight, yeah. fight, fight. <laughs> and we get more flashbacks of this childhood drama that she went through. And then the queen shows her her assimilated dad. Yeah. And he's the one that put the unconsensual implant in her. Oof. Ouch. Insult to injury. Yeah. 
the plan that the Delta Flyer crew had up to this point was to communicate with Seven, to get a message into her. And now that they have Seven located, those messages have been blocked. Yeah. And their shields aren't, like, working anymore. Like, the BQ is aware of them. You know, like, like they can remodulate, but it's not... Uh, <laughs> Guaranteed not to last for very long, just based on what we know about the Borgs. Right. And she says that, like, in this scene, like, yeah, like, we assimilated all of the ideas the Hansons had about hiding from us. So, yeah, duh. I wanted so much more in this scene with her dad. Like, it's just a a quick cameo (laughs) to twist the knife. Yeah. But, like, when Seven is eventually rescued, there is no mention of him being over there. Right. Like, could they have liberated him also? Is her mom also there? I had those same questions. And in an attempt to, like, make you feel the pain of that moment, I think that's where the episode has to go. But as it is, this is a heist within a heist. Yeah. I thought more and more as the Delta Flyer approached the middle of this Borg area how much of a mistake it was to bring the EMH and his mobile transmitter on this mission. Yeah. (laughs) Like, think about the asses of the Borgs if they leave that behind. They will get fucking huge. Yeah, they will be embiggened for sure. So the away mission is a go. The captain and Tuvok are on it and, you know, they're walking around in this Borg's haunted house. Classically, they get split up by a force field. The queen kind of bluffs Seven about them having captured the Delta Flyer. Yeah. And like on on the Delta Flyer itself, there's like three cubes incoming. There's, There's three stories going on here simultaneously. Yeah. It's super intense. And, um... We get to this point where it's sort of like the Borg Queen on one side and Janeway on the other side and Seven is a puppy in the middle and it's like the two owners of the puppy trying to like see who the puppy is more loyal to. Boy, that's the truth. I think my puppy would just run out of the room. Your puppy would run in any direction but but toward one of you. (laughs) In any direction that is not reaching for them. I mean, it's it's also like a little bit under duress because Janeway is like pointing a rifle at the queen the entire time. Yeah. Seven tries to hit the queen when Janeway appears and then she plays torpedo chicken with the queen. Janeway does. Your weapons are useless. Don't be so sure. Then that kind of gets the queen to back down. So Paris at this moment is like trying to beam them out, but there's... Uh, a Borg's scattering field stopping him from doing it. Yeah. And Seven is is like trying to get it dropped, but the Borgs adapt. And Seven tells Janeway where to aim her phaser rifle in a mosquito type of way <laughs> that allows them to be beamed out. Where's the supplest flesh in this room to yeah. suck? And uh, yeah, she knocks out the force field. Seven and Janeway get beamed out. Borg Queen... Not as pissed as she was when uh, the Phoenix didn't get shot, right? Right. Yeah, very much so. Delta Flyer tries to make its getaway, but it's there are cubes in hot pursuit. And we get like a transwarp dogfight where they're in this green tunnel and the cubes are shooting at them. They can't shoot back because 
their weapons are down, but also because like, give me a fucking break. That's a cube. <laughs> I love that the queen has got a diamond shaped ship. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. You know, she stole those diamonds from another culture. Oh. As many queens are wont to do yeah. with their diamonds. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> the Delta Flyer has had bangers dropped on it sufficient to mess it up so badly that in order to make it back to Voyager, they need to sacrifice life support Yeah. in order to make it. And this is a trade that Janeway is almost enthusiastic about making. <laughs> like her attitude about this does not quite fit the moment. I mean, I think it's just weird because everybody else is like yelling, you know, techno babble at each other. And she's like, I'm really excited about turning off life support. And maybe if it gets any more dire, I'll give the order to destroy the ship. <laughs> But first, I'm going to drag my fingertip along this new implant on Seven's neck. <laughs> I'm going to use my other hand <laughs> to kind of twist my gum badge. That's how you know <laughs> I'm feeling frisky. <laughs> I can't believe Chicote tried to talk me out of rolling these dice one last time. <laughs> <laughs> We cut over to Voyager, and BLT has picked up the conduit opening. And on the Delta Flyer, no one has passed out. Yeah. I was promised a pass out scene. <laughs> as soon as you sacrifice life support, that you, you just fall. That the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what we get at all. We, we barely even get sweaty. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like a, uh, you know, miners trapped in a cave kind of thing. Like there's an amount of air that they would have to use up first. Right. So they got lucky there. They make it out of this transwarp hole. Yeah. And then the Voyager is like, there's something else in there. It's coming. It's coming. And they're like bracing for it. And then the the hole opens and it's just, it just like shits debris. <laughs> One of the great Chicote fires. Yeah. Of the whole series. He's the best. He's my favorite at saying fire. Fire. He gets a great moment here. Was the debris from Nana Borg's diamond ship? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I love how it's like a lot of, at first it's seen as Borg's bogeys. Yeah. But then it's debris once the hole opens up. Yeah. So they managed to plug the donut into the warp core after all. We learn in a captain's log that they are 15 years closer to home. And I really wanted her to put that in context of how many overall yeah. are left now. Because this feels like a really big moment in Voyager history, right? Like, I think it was 75 years at the beginning of the series. Yeah. And I can think of one 10-year jump that they took and this 15-year jump. So is it 25 or 30 years closer than they would have been otherwise? They should have a very analog, like rope and model <laughs> to represent their journey <laughs> that every once in a while like Chicote will take a stick and, and move the ship forward yeah. on the rope. It's just in the observation lounge yeah. like whenever they have a McLaughlin group that's like there you know just like hey we want to keep our eyes on the prize. Naomi made this for us and no one has the heart to throw it out. <laughs> She's the only person on the ship that celebrates Captain Janeway Day. Yeah. I'm with you. I wish there was a a greater interest in that timeline and in something like I I joke about the Naomi Wildman craft project but like 
to see it from time to time represented yeah. in some way, I think would be really great. As would the amount of torpedoes they have in the hold. Like yeah. right next to that, maybe like a like a modified battleship playset where they pull a pin out every time they fire a <laughs> torpedo. So you I can just it. visually see how many are left. Yeah. Yeah, we consult that from time to time. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I really liked this episode. This is, I mean, a very long episode of our show. Right. For a very long episode of Voyager. I mean, I think that the... What about her drone father and drone mother? Yeah. Question is really well taken. It's not a good look for Seven to not care, I don't think. Yeah. And the fact that, it, like, there's that checkout conversation at the end where, you know, she says, like, I, you know, don't understand humans yet. Like, Seven is to a way less extent than Data, sort of the Pinocchio character of the show. And that is sort of what that scene is about. But the fact that she isn't even curious that her anger with the choices her parents made is not complicated at all by the idea that, oh, like their bodies are still there. Yeah. Is a little bit frustrating. In the way that it is a very human instinct to like need a body in the event of someone's death, like in order to grieve them. Right. Right. Like, that's an aspect to this that's totally absent in a very unique way as the Borg species go, you know? Right. Overall, I think it is a really interesting exploration of, you know, where Seven's loyalties lie. And I think they did a really good job of making a story where the Voyager crew beat the Borg, but it doesn't make the Borg less scary overall. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it denudes the the threat that the Borgs pose in a way that we've observed a couple of other times. There have been Borg stories where it's like, eh, it's just kind of like like they beat them by making them less of a bad guy. And Yeah, I like escape as a form of victory instead of, you know, tactical victory. Right. Right. That's a more satisfying ending here because I'm with you. Like I don't like any story that seeks to defang the best villain in sci-fi. Yeah. And like the end of this episode really seemed to ask the question, was it worth it? Right. Seven has gotten all of this data from being plugged into the Unimatrix. All of that can wait until later. They got their 15-year jump ahead on the mission. Like, was it worth it? Was it worth it for 15 years to risk the lives of everyone on the ship, to risk Seven? If the journey is 70-ish years and you got 15 back, I don't know, man. I don't know if it's worth 15 years to risk what they did. We don't know the value of what Seven learned by being plugged into the Unimatrix. So I don't know. Like as an episode, I I loved it. It's fun to experience what a Star Trek Voyager movie might have been, Mm -hmm. should there have been one. And I'm grateful that they didn't destroy the Borgs in ways that made them lame and weak down the road. They haven't done that yet anyway. No one's sliding in socks along the floor of the Borg ship at this moment in time. (laughs) But uh, yeah, great up. Big up. Big up for Voyager. Big up for us. Last episode directed by Cliff Bowl. Cliff Bowl? Yeah. He directed a a ton of Star Trek. 
TNG, DS9, and Voyager. And this was his last one. One of the greats. His mic drop. What a way to go out. Yeah. Good job by him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Adam, you want to head with me into the priority one section of the show, see what's going on in there? You know, the deeper we get into this, the more frightened I become. (laughs) It's really the unimatrix of the priority one messages, isn't it? Boy, you said it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. That message goes like this. In the spirit of questionable business decisions, I'd like to say thanks for the laughs by going full promo. (laughs) Will I use these scarves to plug my reclaimed wood guitar biz? Hell no. I'm going to promote my dumb side hustle, guineapigtanks.com. Yes, I made little cars guinea pigs can drive some like it and did i mention there's a pig-sized previa (laughs) okay it's a type 15 shuttle pod anyway i'm sure there's a venn diagram where your viewers cross this silliness so the code tribbles saves 10 percent off at guineapigtanks.com ben this is a real side project business from our buddy Tim Sway, wow. a.k.a. the anti-Edward Larkin. This is a real idea, a real product. Help your real-life tribbles explore the carpet quadrant in style with guinea pig tanks. I, I am on guineapigtanks.com right now looking at the video that plays at the uh, top of the page, and you get to see some... Fun little chonkers driving their little cardboard cars around on a carpeted hallway floor. (laughs) And it is very funny. You know, you give your guinea pig a guinea pig tank, they're going to be saying guinea pig thanks. (laughs) Aren't they? (laughs) Yeah, boy. Uh, Hey, Tim Sway, that one's free. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't mean to punch up your copy too much, Tim, but you can have that one. Yeah. Man, this looks great. Hope you experience the greatest gen bump for your promo message. A lot of guinea pig owning FODs <laughs> out there in our audience. Mm. Our next priority one message here is from Adam, and it's to Adam and Ben, and it goes like this. Adam and Ben, a little while ago, I went to Costco and decided to do something totally crazy by eating first. Hell yeah. I felt like such an innovator. I should have known that I was walking in the footsteps of Costco giant Adam Pranica. I can't explain why, after listening for six years, that this is why I write in. But here we are. Thanks for all the laughs, guys. Yeah. Good job, Adam. Now you know one of my favorite secrets of Costco. You bring it in with you. I remain this is like an unbroken streak that every time i've ever gone i've tried to get in the line to get myself a dog and my wife puts her foot down and says no we're eating something later oh i hate that i don't like that at all i hate costco people know this i think this might be a big part of why Uh, My wife and I have been going to the Burbank Costco since moving. Brag, brag. Burbank, known as the celebrity Costco to those who live in Los Angeles. (laughs) 
Uh-huh. A lot of celebrity sightings can be had there. Mm-hmm. I guess I might be one of them. You see me at that Costco. But, <laughs> but something amazing happened the last time we went. Something that has never happened in my entire life of going to Costco. And I've been going to Costco for like 20 years. Yeah. I got the parking spot as close to the front door as you can be. The Pope spot. Whoa. The absolute apex parking spot at a Costco parking lot that I thought was just impossible to get. Yeah. We got it. Wow. And I just wanted to keep my car parked there for days. (laughs) But we got out of the car. We went straight to the food court. We got a couple of slices and just admired our car from up close. You never get to do that ordinarily. And then we went about our shopping. That's the dream. It was a great day. Anyway, good job, Adam. Did you get 18 boxes of mac and cheese? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chub pack. Love it. You know, they'll, they'll sell you just the cheese there. Mm. Just the powder. Really? What would you do with that? Oh, you'd put it on your good pasta. I'd take that powder out and i throw it away. Wow. And make real cheese sauce for my mac and cheese. You were never a kid, were you? <laughs> ben, our final priority one message is from Holly, and it is to Heather and Holly. That message goes like this: Happy thirty 39- nine. The last one was from Adam, and it was to Adam and Ben, and this one's from Holly, and it's to Heather and Holly. What's going on here? I think we need to blow in a message to uh, to our buddy, yeah, Danny at Max Fun to see uh, what's going on here. It's, are we in the Matrix or something? Holly writes, happy 39th birthday to me and my actual real-life twin sister, Heather. Whoa! Who is a recent recruit to the pod. Dang! I am so happy to have an actual, in-real-life friend of DeSoto. (laughs) I had to throw some scarves to celebrate. (laughs) We might be 40 by the time you catch up and hear this message, but hopefully it brings you as much joy as it has brought me. Ben and Adam, for the win! Man, twin sisters Heather and Holly listen to our show. Yeah. I think this might be the first twins I'm aware of listening to the show. We got a lot of types of FODs out there. Yeah. And twins. <laughs> you know, my my wife's mom is a twin, and that means that she has a very high likelihood of conceiving twins relative to the general population. Yeah. You thought Darone might be coming out with another Darone, huh? Yeah. And before we like went to the doctor and got the the scan, we were like, maybe it's twins. It could be twins. And uh, since he popped out, we've been like, man, twins sounds hard as fuck because one yeah. is really hard. You're happier with the one, huh? Well... You know, you you do what what life throws at you, but uh, yeah. I've thought a lot about that since. Like, I can't believe that there was a time when I was like, it would be so cool if it was twins. <laughs> Darone could have absorbed the, a twin in the womb. That's true. Maybe you just don't know about it. I think that we probably would have seen that on a sonogram, though, right? If there was like a second thing there, <laughs> you know? You must never watch the tape of Darone <laughs> absorbing his twin in the womb. <laughs> Uh, Well, I'm so glad that neither Holly nor Heather absorbed the other. Yeah. And I'm so glad that the Friends of DeSoto keep getting priority one messages on the show, even though they come out very, very long after they purchase them. If you'd like to get a priority one message, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set one up today. Do it. Do it. 
Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Hmm. I got to give it to uh, Magnus Hansen. That is just bonehead shit taking your family yeah. to go see the Borgs. Like, classic oblivious to danger dad out here. I mean, I, I, Aaron was definitely just as bad, if not yeah. worse. But Magnus really seemed to be driving the car in uh, a lot of the decisions. He is a bit of a grizzly man about this. Yeah. Did not like. I think he's going to be my drunk Shimoda. How about you? I mean, you've convinced me. Let's make it Magnus. Wow. He's on the board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think he gets two votes. Maybe we'll run into him again, depending on whether or not uh, there's another rescue mission launched for Dear Daddy. I was trying to remember. I know there's more Borg stuff to come in Voyager, so we may yet have a, another Magnus moment. But uh, I liked these actors, these actors that played Seven's parents. Like, yeah. I really developed an affection for them over the mission, like for as... For as wrongheaded as as the mission was on paper, they seemed like nice people whose hearts were in the right place. Yeah. And they just got in over their heads. Yeah. Poor them. Yeah. Poor Annika. Yeah, the uh the credits to this episode instead of the Voyager theme or is that uh do whoop do whoop do. do. You remember the you remember the credits to Grizzly Man? That weird country song? Yeah, that was weird. Good choice. Yeah. A weird film. Yeah. Uh, all right, Adam. The next episode is season five, episode 16, Dark Frontier, part two. The Borg Queen welcomes Seven of Nine back to the collective in hopes that her knowledge of humanity will help the Borg assimilate Earth. We just watched that. Oh, shit. All right. The next episode. You just episode. totally teleprompted that. You even know what you just said? <laughs> Get fucked, San Diego. <gasps> oh, great Odin's Raven. Is it episode 16 or episode 17 is the question. I mean, the disease is the next episode, and yeah. I believe it's 17. Why don't we call it episode 16? Because that's what it's going to be listed as on most. Okay. Streaming services people have access to. And then for the rest of the season, I'm going to have to remember to subtract one from the readout I have here. You know what? Just take it up with Memory Alpha if you've got a problem. It's not us. I think Memory Alpha agrees that it's the the next episode. Memory Alpha says the next one's 17. Really? I'm looking at it. Yeah. All right. Well, the next episode is season five, episode 17, The Disease. (laughs) Without medical clearance... Kim becomes involved in a love affair with a member of the Vero species. Finally, another what has Ensign Kim gotten his dick into episode. (laughs) I love those. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like he's doing it raw dog this time. Yeah. That'll be intense. Uh, Adam, do you want to uh, head over to gach.biz slash game and roll a bone and tell us how we will be watching that episode. Ben, I'm over at the Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Caretaker, where our runabout is currently on square 40. A couple squares ahead, Brown Zone. Mm. And then if I were to roll a six, Coco Nono Ep. That's not going to happen. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. So I got a couple of options there. I'm rolling the die. I've rolled a one. Chula! 
Did I win? Hardly. We're on square 41. <laughs> Saving those possibilities for you. Cool. What a shock. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I do. <laughs> Somebody ran the like probabilities of that a long time ago when the game of buttholes was only a couple of seasons old and found that you rolled an improbably high number of ones. I feel like if we went back through now, it would still be like totally insane how often you roll a one. It really is. It seems statistically improbable, yet here we are. Wow. Well, a regular old episode would be a delight. We got a bunch of thanks here at the end of the episode to Sight. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, our producer, editor, person that keeps this whole pod car on the rails. A person I regret giving a two-hour sequence of audio to at the end of this yeah. one. Sorry, Wendy. We got to thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy who runs the At Greatest Trek social media accounts. We got to thank Adam Ragusia, who recorded all of the original theme music for our show based on Dark Materia's original Picard song. Hey, go out there, find a group of friends of DeSoto. They're all over the internet on all of the social sites. You don't have to look very far to find a really fun group of people to hang out with online. The DrunkShimoda.com Discord is really fun. There's a Mastodon instance, I think you call it. <laughs> There's a Mastodon Tusk out there. Yeah. And if you want to go talk to other Tuskmen, that's where you go. Sure. It's just a delight to see all the friends of DeSoto out there having fun on a week-by-week basis. Yeah, friends not just in name only. It's a thriving, positive community, and we didn't do it. The friends of DeSoto did, and that's a great thing. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that is encouraging you to go to sleep, little baby. Go to sleep, you little baby. What are you doing? You and me and the devil make three. Don't need an ever love, baby. You sing that like someone who's been singing it a lot. <laughs> if I were Darone, I'd be asleep by now. Yeah, that would conk you right out if you were Darone. Make it so. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.